Broadcasting from our secret compound at Silicon Slopes, Utah, overlooking the entire Utah Tech Corridor, this is the Utah CTO Show. Bite-sized interviews with Utah's tech leaders where we dig into the growth of the Utah tech scene, the stories behind some of the greatest local successes, and the secrets to growing tech leadership in Utah. And now, here are your hosts, Chris Jenkins and Brett Flake. All right, welcome back to the Utah CTO Show. My name's Chris, and I'm here with my co-host, Brett Flake. Hello. Thanks for being here. Today, we have a special guest, Brad Webb of Sondermind. Brad, thank you so much for being here with us today. Yeah, thanks. Who at the uh, imposter from Denver who's not a CTO on the show? <laughs> I, this, <laughs> Excited to be here. Yeah, no, this is amazing. We, uh, It's funny because, Brad, when you and I first met, it was, and you may not even remember this, but it was really early in those days at Extend Health when I had first joined yep. there, but you were running all of engineering. And so when I, some yeah. of the first impressions that I have of you have really been kind of that CTO or head of engineering type role. You've kind of yep. done that a little bit in your career. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the tech community. Yeah, yeah, happy to. So currently I'm the VP of product at uh, Sondermind here in Denver, Colorado. So I started out on the engineering side. I actually randomly got my degree in finance and was sure I was going to work on Wall Street. Um, <laughs> the hours didn't really do it for me when I really got down to brass tacks and actually having a family. But had the whole time been working in tech and kind of did consulting work and then eventually ended up at Extend Health, uh, which is a fantastic company. Eventually was acquired by Towers Watson. Chris, you can, I'm sure you can speak to it. There's some amazing people there. Yep. And yeah, I just kind of found myself doing the things that and drawn to the things that were product related. And, you know, at that time, there wasn't really a name for it. We didn't call it product management. We just kind of, you know, they were just things to get code developed. And I kind of made that official leap. I did some of those things while at Extend Health and then made that official leap when I went over to Task Easy. What's that got to be like five years ago now? So, <laughs> and then I uh, went four years of Task Easy while I was there, led product and all, was also the CTO for a while, and then made this move to Denver in, let's see, December of last year. Awesome. It's funny that you've switched over to, you switched over to product back then. I've just recently done the same thing where I've left engineering behind. I mean, not that you actually ever leave it behind, even as a <laughs> yeah, product person, <laughs> but... Yep. But along those lines, you know, I'm trying to figure out the best way to measure my own success. And I'm wondering, um, you know, how you measure your success as a product manager. Yeah, I mean, I think we talked a little bit. There really is no script for a lot of these things. Um, but I, I find often that in product, you can be like, well, we're building for this initiative, so we don't kind of need the metrics around it. And I think that is a mistake. I think every thing that gets through needs to have a hypothesis of why we're building it. We need to say like, look, we think we're going to affect this. Here are the numbers that we're going to affect. Here's how we're going to measure it when it's done. And we're going to have these success metrics to know whether we've reached that goal or whether we need to iterate. Anything we build of any sort of consequence just needs to make sure we have those success metrics attached. So I don't know that there's your typical metric to rule it all, but if you're not using metrics and you're in everything you're doing, you're doing things wrong, in my opinion. Yeah, it seems like more and more I'm finding that digging into data is going to be a large part of my job mm -hmm. when it comes to preparing evidence for this is why we should go down this route and select this product or, or do it this way. And then also after we've launched it to make sure that, you know, we can measure that success in some in some way. 100%. Yep. Are there any specific metrics that you use? I mean, there are a lot of options, I think, out there from what I've seen. And it's hard to sort of say, as you mentioned, there's no like magic bullet metric. But what are some that, that you like to use in product and engineering that 
help you sort of see and gauge that, yeah, we're doing the right things. In product, and especially in product leadership, you got to make sure you have a North Star. You've got to make sure that you have this one metric to rule it all, right? It, not necessarily that differs per team, but, you know, it, if you want to make sure that you're affecting how many widgets go out the door at, at a broad level, you've got to make sure everything rolls up into getting to that larger one of, of widgets out the door. But I'd also say in product, it's a pretty strong mix of qualitative versus quantitative, right? You want to make sure that you're involving user testing as much as you possibly can and getting a feel for the customer and mixing that in and not just, you know, what are my conversion funnel metrics or anything else like that. So it's a pretty strong mix, but it also just has to be present in about every sort of decision that's made. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. You talk a little bit about being a CTO at TaskEasy for a little while. Obviously, you've run engineering teams. Mm-hmm. And now you're on the product side. What are some of the things that you like about that executive level management, running the team, building the organization, right? Like that kind of level of, of work. What do you enjoy about it and, and what works for you? And I think this is probably why I made the, the move more over to product is, is I like to see the machinations of something from an idea to conception all the way through. And I think the ability to affect strategy and watch something and and take something that is just an idea and watch it be built and then watch it be iterated on and take input from all these different areas and then measure it and see it go out. It's a very satisfying process. I think it's why all of us are kind of in this field. And then I think the other thing is, is just I love working with smart people. Industry, you get challenged often. And I like that. I like that, that I feel I'm getting pushed forward and that I'm working with people who share the same sort of drive to get things done. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if there's sometimes challenges with working with smart people or or maybe just as, as being the head of product in general. Yeah, I mean, challenges, look, you're a guy who says no a lot, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's just, look, you can't build everything that you want. You can't. And, and you're going to be saying no to a lot of really good ideas that have been well thought out from really smart people. And that's not always fun. But I also believe, too, that if you can, as we talked a little bit earlier about having some of those guiding North Star principles, and you can say, like, look, here's the metric we want to affect. Everything rolls into us getting better at this metric. And if you can tie it back reasonably to most people and say, we're not doing what you'd ask us to do because of these reasons, but it's a great idea. And it is in the queue for when we decide to go into that area. I think you can build a lot of equity with people. But yeah, that sucks. It does get old saying <laughs> no all the time, right. no doubt. Yeah, if you say yes to everything, your bandwidth fills up pretty quick. And so, yeah. Well, and it's not really, you know, the engineers you're working with, they don't really appreciate that of every sprint getting incrementally bigger because you can't say no to whatever's coming down the pipe. Yeah, and I often find it seems like a lot of a lot of the times it's the engineers themselves that want to go the extra mile and do a lot of extra Absolutely. stuff. And you also have to say no to the engineers quite a bit as well. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you work with a great team and I work with a great team now and I've worked with great teams in the past. Absolutely. Um, you're protecting their sanity as much as anything else. Yeah. So you answered a little bit about what you like about it, right? Is there anything that you don't like about running these engineering and product teams? Yeah, it's it, there's the saying no aspect of it. I think with any leader, personality issues are things that just aren't fun to deal with. When you hire people, and I think I'm pretty picky, as I think a lot of people are pretty picky, but you're still going to get it wrong sometimes. 
and knowing when to pull the plug and when to move on from somebody and knowing that you're affecting that person's career and their livelihood is not always the funnest thing to do. I, I think I'm kind of a soft heart that way or I want to see you make it work. But that being said, I think the, the best thing you can do and the most humane thing you can do is, is, is move on quickly and, and let that person know exactly where they stand all the time. Yeah, it seems like it's really good to know what your threshold is and what you're willing to work with and what you're not. And so when you start to recognize those signs, to move on quickly is best for the organization, yourself, and the person in question that's struggling with, with those personality issues. And I think, too, the, yep. it's, it's interesting, and maybe you've experienced this, Brad. Um, I, I assume you have, just being in the position you're in. But I've had people on my team and on other teams where, as the leader, if you are not giving your team clear direction on what you expect – then often they don't meet your expectations. And so then you're wondering, well, should I mm -hmm. let them go and not have them on my team? Because obviously they're not the right fit. Well, there's ways to, if you help them understand that expectation, that they can then meet that, right? I've seen that a number of times where, I mean, it's really good to let people go and to, to make sure that, that they're on the right path and not on the wrong one as quickly as possible. But if you haven't given them clear direction then I think you could easily come to that point where you feel like, oh, they need to leave, but it was really a miscommunication issue more than just yeah, the right person issue. Exactly. There's a little bit of dichotomy there, right? You think, well, if I'm blunt about the things they're not doing wrong, that that's not it's not an easy conversation for me to have, and it's not an easy conversation to have on the other side. Right. But the flip side of that is being wishy-washy that, man, you – that, that, that is the worst situation you can put someone in, right? Not knowing what they need to do to succeed and how they can get better. I've come to the point where I feel like I'm probably pretty blunt. Yeah. <laughs> here's where we can get better and here's what we need. And I think that's just, you know, honestly, the right thing to do for people. Let them know where they stand and let them know where they can get better. I want to do a whole podcast episode, Brett, like just on that topic because – yeah. It's so interesting how, and I've seen this as, as you hire engineering managers for the first time and they're, they're trying to figure out, you know, how do I help my team and get the most out of them, right? But it's really easy to get to that wishy-washy place where you're like, you know, yes, I want to satisfy their needs and I want to help the business and I want to satisfy the customer. And you take all of that yep. in, right? And And so you end up not being able to make decisions. It's almost like you're just stalled rather than actually helping the business move forward. And I think part of what we're trying to do here on the CTO show, right, is help engineers see that there are some steps and there are specific things you need to be thinking about when you do move into that managerial role that are going to help you be more successful. So don't just jump in yeah. not knowing what some of those are. And yeah, I, I could do a whole episode on that. I'm <laughs> sure we all could, but that's... It, yeah. It'd be a good one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to say that's the my absolute favorite thing about where I'm working now at, at Duello is I feel like that the the management team leadership they're very good at giving that direct feedback while still being very tactful and kind and very fair minded. So mm -hmm. as a, any sort of employee, that's that's going to be something that I prefer rather than you know some passive aggression and then suddenly people are like, hey, we're <laughs> going to write you up for this thing. You're like, wait, what? Nobody's oh, told me about yeah, this. Yeah, where's that come from? <laughs> yeah. Oh, nothing, nothing worse when you get to that annual review and this and that that comes out for the very first time, right? Yeah. You know, the, the thing you aren't doing well and you're like, well, we talked every week. You know, yeah. I, I would have loved to have fixed it along the way. Yep. So you moved to Colorado recently with Sondermind, and I did. you and I, we talked to, uh, just briefly about the fact that you were at TaskEasy, a Kickstart seed fund company, and then now Sondermind, also a Kickstart company. Tell me a little bit about yep. that transition. Help us kind of understand the move that you made and what you think about tech in both of those locations. 
Yeah, I got connected through Kurt Roberts as a board member. He's, he's on the Kickstarter seed fund. He's an, he's an amazing guy and is on the board of Sondermind and got me talking with our CEO here. And it just was that kind of perfect fit of great people working on an amazing problem. And we have found product market fit. It's a cause that I can believe in. We're helping people have access to mental health care and use their insurance and making it affordable. And it's just kind of that perfect storm of the right things at the right time. So it was one of those where I just had to make the jump. I commuted for six months, which I would recommend to absolutely nobody, right. um, especially when you got a family and three kids at home and tried to work that out. And then we made the move in June here fully. But I would say as far as differences between the two, it's not huge. There are some great companies here. There are absolutely great companies in the Utah tech scene, which I absolutely love. I think what you find a little bit more here is you're fighting the larger enterprises that are more entrenched, telecom and things like that. I find that in Utah, the startup scene, it, it dominates so much of what we do in, in a very positive way, but it's just easier to talk folks into a startup. Here, I think it, it's a little bit of, oh, okay, this is, I, I'm going from a very stable organization and why would I go join a startup that looks not as stable, even though I think we all believe that, you know, that's not the case, especially in a fast-growing startup that's, that's doing good things. But yeah, I, there's a pretty big tech scene here. Uh, the Denver Startup Week last week, I think, actually not last week, is last month, um, was huge and had a lot of great things. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely a growing community. So it seems like we're both uh, in communities outside of... Um outside of Silicon Valley. Um, what do you like about being outside of Silicon Valley? Um, and, and what do you like about Utah Tech? Yeah, um, I don't know. Outside of Utah, I guess I just feel like, and I felt this for a long time with Utah, is that, and I, th I feel like this is similar in Denver, is that the company has to be more real, mm -hmm. right? I, a lot of ideas in Silicon Valley get funded to astronomical amounts and, um and then it, we find out later that it was just an idea and there is no real money-making strategy at the end of, of that idea. I think there's just a lot of substance in these markets, right, outside of Silicon Valley of people who just actually absolutely have to solve something and have to show that we're creating revenue and that we're creating value and the things that we're doing are, 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 are just, you know, showing um, – showing real value in the marketplace. So I guess, I, and I, I think you also find too that, and I found this in Utah a lot, there's not a lot of just job hopping. Um, people get in somewhere, they work with the right people, they find people they believe in, and you work together for a long time. And I have friends in Silicon Valley, and, and I know that's a pretty big thing where yeah. a year one place, a year another, and it's nice to kind of like grow together as a team and build something special. Yeah, and it seems like a lot of times, even if, even when you do hop around a little bit, you try and stick with your core team and try and bring the same guys on to, uh, you know, the yep. same you know engineers or product people onto the same team with you, using your network right to to your uh, to your advantage. Do you? Um... Yeah, of which of which doesn't do me to sell that much here, but <laughs> there's that. Uh, well, I was gonna I have my Utah network. I was gonna yeah. ask you if you're recruiting anybody. You pulling anybody over to Colorado? Uh, I have not yet. I have dropped um, a lot of <laughs> yeah. a lot of like, hey, hey, you should look here. Look, it's it's a wonderful place. It really is. Yeah. It's, it's a quick drive back. I know a lot of people are pretty entrenched in Utah, just like I am. Right. I have my both sides of our family are there, and aunts, and uncles, and cousins, and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of 
awesome things going on here and a lot of great people. And I think Sondermind especially is one of those places that's just special. So That's good to hear. Brad, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. We, we really appreciate this. I'm curious if you're hiring or if there's anything that you want to plug, how can people get a hold of you? It'd be helpful, I think, for our audience, too, to be able to contact you or connect with you on LinkedIn or something. Is What would be the best sure. way for them to get a hold of you? And if they're thinking, hey, I want to move to, back to Colorado, <laughs> they could look you yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Or just looking for advice on the Denver tech scene or things like that. Sure, I'm, I'm happy to talk with folks. Yep, Brad Webb on LinkedIn is probably the best place to talk with me. Don't really have anything to plug, but I will say that there's some amazing companies even outside of the things we're finding in Utah. And and we are always hiring at Sondermind. We're growing incredibly fast, and it's a pretty unique opportunity. So Awesome. Well, thank you again for being on the show. Really appreciate it, Brad. This has been fantastic. And just being on the phone with us, I think this is really great. So if you haven't uh, already, go and rate our podcast. Hopefully, we've given five stars worth of an effort. And uh, thank you all. So again... Appreciate you being here. Thanks, Brad. Thank you. If your computing infrastructure is running in a cloud service like AWS or Azure, you've likely sunk time into manually configuring and maintaining a monitoring tool. Tasks like understanding baselines, fine-tuning thresholds, and examining visualizations for defects require significant time and effort, taking time away from your most important priorities. Wouldn't it be nice if you could automate this monitoring and alerting process? That's where Blue Matador comes in. Unlike all other monitoring tools on the market, Blue Matador eliminates the need to manually configure alerts. After a quick onboarding, Blue Matador instantly discovers all of your resources, automatically creates hundreds of alerts out of the box, and proactively notifies you of critical production issues. This saves you massive amounts of time and ensures that you'll always know the health of your cloud services. And right now, they are providing a special offer to our listeners here on the Utah CTO Show. Just head to bluematador.com slash Utah CTO Show. Sign up for a free trial and integrate your AWS account or Kubernetes account for 14 days, and they will send you $100. They are so confident that you'll love their product that they are offering our listeners 100 bucks just to try it. So go to bluematador.com slash Utah CTO show to start your free trial today. Terms and conditions apply.